Praises be to our loving Father that we are again able to study his words and his commands. Welcome to the BHP, the Bible History Project, where we study the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as best as we can. And so we completed the book of Joshua, and last week we began the introduction uh, to the book of Judges, and today we're going to look at Judges number one and number two, and our title for our studies today is How the Next generation was set up to fail because when you look at the next generation of Israelites after the death of Joshua, after they entered at last the promised land, well, it's not all good. In fact, many consider it to be one of the darkest ages of Israeli history. But then again, when you think of Israeli history, it's filled with many dark phases and dark stages. And so we're going to look at exactly how this kind of developed and how Israel began to decline, became worse and worse, and enter into this cycle, which we call the cycle of decline and renewal, which we kind of talked about last week in our introduction to the book of Judges. And so this cycle that we will see repeated again and again, which is the major theme in the book of Judges, we're going to see it starts from people uh, forget Yahuwah. So when they are enjoying peace and prosperity, the tendency for human beings is to forget the Father, to forget Yahuwah. And when you forget Yahuwah, you begin to live lives with, in sin and moral depravity and idolatry. This is what happened to the people of Israel. And so Israel would be punished by God. And so they would suffer defeat from their enemies, suffer oppression from their enemies. And so Israel begins to repent and cry out to Yahuwah because Yahuwah is compassionate. He will raise a judge, which is a military leader. Now, this military leader or judge, well, he was not voted for to become leader. He was not chosen by the people. Rather, he was chosen by God and equipped by God. So he kind of stands out. And so they're the ones who became what are called judges. And when it says judges, it's not speaking about, you know, a judge who listens to conflicts, right? It's speaking more about those who would be instruments of God in delivering the people of Israel from oppression and from their enemies. And so these judges would do just that as empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so Israel would be delivered. And once again, they would enjoy a period of peace and prosperity. Um, unfortunately, in this period of peace and prosperity, they, begot, they become complacent, they begin to forget God again, and the cycle starts all over again. Unfortunately, each time the cycle repeats itself, well, the depravity, the sin of Israel becomes progressively worse. Not only that, each time a judge is raised, the judge also becomes progressively flawed. And so the cycle of decline renewal is actually a downward spiral of decline and renewal. And so we learned last week that Yahuwah himself is going to find a way to break through this downward spiral because of his love for his people, because of his covenant with Abraham. And so who does he send? Yahushua, to be the perfect judge, the perfect deliverer, and once and for all, he's going to destroy this downward spiral of decline and renewal. So that's the theme of the book of Judges. It is placed in Holy Scripture to tell us about the grace, the love of Yahuwah, so that despite our weaknesses as human beings, 
despite our tendencies to commit horrific sins, Yahuwah's grace and compassion and love finds a way to bring us back to him. So let's go ahead and open the book of Judges. Before we do that, before we go to Judges 1, 1 to 2, let's first go to Joshua 1, 1 to 2. I just want you to notice something. After the, the death of Yahuwah's servant Moses, Yahuwah spoke to Moses' helper, Joshua, son of Nun. So this is how Joshua opens. When Judges opens, after Joshua's death, the people of Israel asked Yahuwah, which of our tribes should be the first to go and attack the Canaanites? You notice that when Judges opens after the death of Joshua, there is no successor. And so the question was, if we have no Joshua to turn to, well, how are we going to know what to do next? And so this was the question of the people of Israel. Which of our tribes should be the first to go and attack the Canaanites? Yahuwah answered, the tribe of Judah will go first. I'm giving them control of the land. And so when Joshua dies, after a series of learning from the wilderness journey to the time of conquest over the promised land, it was time for Israel to learn how to place their faith and trust in the invisible God, instead of placing their hope and faith and trust in a leader that they can see and, are, and is tangible, Yahuwah wants to train them to live a life of complete trust in Yahuwah. So their daily walk and their daily faith in Yahuwah is what Yahuwah wants to develop in his people, Israel. Now, before we go ahead and continue, Judges uh, opens up with the death of Joshua. But before Joshua actually dies, there's a visitor that comes to visit Israel, a special visitor at death. And this visitor and what he speaks of to the people of Israel is actually recorded in Joshua chapter 2. So Joshua chapter 2, 1 to 2, it depicts the event that happened before Joshua died. So let's go ahead and jump first to Judges chapter 2, 1 down to 2. The angel of Yahuwah went from Gilgal to Bochim and said to the Israelites, I took you out of Egypt and brought you to the land that I promised to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You must not make any covenant with the people who live in this land. You must tear down their altars, but you have not done what I told you. You have done just the opposite. And so here is an angel of Yahuwah, and he's speaking to the people of Israel from Gilgal to Bochim, and so house to house, perhaps, or tribe to tribe. He went from Gilgal to Bochim. So this angel of Yahuwah had a message to Israel, and his message was, I took you out of Egypt and brought you to the land that I promised to your ancestors. Question, who is the actual one who took Israel out of Egypt? Well, when you think about it, this is Yahuwah. When you look at the message, it's full of eyes. It's in the first person. I took you. I will never break, right? But you, but you have not done what I told you. And so the angel of Yahuwah is speaking as of he himself is 
Yahuwah. This is an example of what they call a theophany. This is when Yahuwah interacts with his people by sending an, what is called an angel. And so this angel of Yahuwah is actually a manifestation of Yahuwah himself in angelic or human form to interact and speak with the people of Israel. He also did this with Abraham, remember, in the book of Genesis 18. And so this is also another example of a theophany. In this theophany, Yahuwah emphasizes that he made a covenant with Israel, that he was loyal and faithful to his covenant, but his people Israel did not do the same thing. They have done, in fact, the opposite of what they promised to do according to the covenant. And so what does he say? Three to five. So I tell you now that I will not drive these people out as you advance. They will be your enemies and you will be trapped by the worship of their gods. When the angel had said this, all the people of Israel began to cry. That is why the place is called Bochim. There they offered sacrifices to Yahuwah. And so when the angel of Yahuwah speaks this message that Yahuwah will no longer drive these people out, uh, that they will be their enemies and you will be trapped to worshiping their gods, what was the reaction of the people of Israel? They began to cry. They began to weep, which is a good sign, right? Because it tells us they are regretful perhaps even repentant of what they did. And not only did they cry and weep, they also gave offerings to Yahuwah because they sense Yahuwah, number one, is angry. And number two, he's going to hold back some of his power and he will not drive completely out the people who are left for the Israelites to completely remove from the land. And so they were repentant. They wept, and after this event, there's Joshua. Joshua then sent the people of Israel on their way, and each man went to take possession of his own share of the land. As long as Joshua lived, the people of Israel served Yahuwah, and after his death, they continued to do so as long as the leaders were alive who had seen for themselves all the great things that Yahuwah had done for Israel. Yahuwah's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110. He was buried in his own part of the land at Timnah Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. The whole generation also died, and the next generation forgot Yahuwah and what he had done for Israel. And so after this warning, after this judgment of Yahuwah, against Israel, when he says he's no longer going to completely drive out all of the enemies of Israel, they repent and weep, and Joshua tells them, go back to your own tribal lands, take possession of it. That instruction includes actually removing and destroying the enemies of God. The Bible tells us shortly after Joshua dies, after the death of the leaders who saw uh, what Yahuwah was able to do for Israel, once that generation dies away, what would happen to the next generation? Somehow, some way, they're going to forget Yahuwah, 
they're going to forget what was done for, what he did for Israel, which tells us, well, their tears, their weeping were not really manifestations of true repentance. You know, it's possible to weep. It's possible to feel remorse. It's possible to cry because we sinned against the Father. But it's not true repentance until it leads to a change. This is why when people cry and weep and say, oh, I'm blessed. No, those who are blessed are not those who cry and weep, but those who truly change internally. There's a transformation within, brought about by the Holy Spirit, that leads to a change in the behavior and in their life. And so the generation of Israelites, after the death of Joshua and during that time, well, they were not really repentant. And so this kind of led to the next generation forgetting God. So why did the next generation forget Yahuwah and what he has done for Israel? This is important because it might happen to us. It might happen to our kids. We don't want our kids to forget Yahuwah. I mean, God forbid that we pass away and they're left behind and we don't want them to forget Yahuwah. We want to pass the legacy of faith to them, right? So we need to know how that happened. How could one generation who enjoyed the presence of Yahuwah, enjoyed the promised land, lead to the next generation and completely forget Yahuwah, completely forget what he has done for Israel? So what happened? Well, let's go ahead and jump back to Judges 1, 1 to 2. After Joshua's death, the people of Israel asked Yahuwah, which of our tribes should be the first to go and attack the Canaanites? Yahuwah answered, the tribe of Judah will go first. I am giving them control of the land. And so what we find, and which is the expectation of Yahuwah from his people, is for his people to go to him. This is why they prayed to Yahuwah. They asked Yahuwah, perhaps through the help and instrumentality of the priests, but collectively as a whole, they asked for the guidance of Yahuwah. And whenever you do that, Bible tells us here in the book of Judges, when people go to him and ask for his guidance, Yahuwah answers. And his answer to the people during the days of the Judges, when he said the tribe of Judah will go first, I am giving them control of the land. So they have guidance from Yahuwah. What do you do when you receive guidance from Yahuwah? You go to action, right? You do what you're supposed to do. Yahuwah says, I'm giving them control of the land. So Judah, after receiving this message from Yahuwah, they go to action. And so what do they do next? Three to four. The people of Judah said to the people of Simeon. And so they decide to partner up with this tribe, Simeon. Go with us into the territory assigned to us, and we will fight the Canaanites together. Then we will go with you into the territory assigned to you. So the tribes of Simeon and Judah went into battle together. Yahuwah gave them victory over the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and they defeated 10,000 men at Bezek. And so they partner with each other, these, the tribe of Simeon, tribe of Judah, and Yahuwah blesses them. And because of this, they defeat the Canaanites. They defeat 10,000 men at Bezek. So far, so good. Amen. But what happens next? They found uh, Adoni Bezek there and fought against him. He ran away, but they chased him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Why would you do that? 
Well, if you cut off one's thumbs, you can no longer carry a weapon. It makes you useless as a military soldier. Adoni Bezek said seven kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. God has not done to me what I did to them. He was taken to Jerusalem where he died. And so we have another victory here for the tribe of Judah together with Simeon. What else? The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and captured it. They killed its people and set fire to the city. After this, they went on to fight the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the foothills, and in the dry country to the south. They marched against the Canaanites living in the city of Abram, which used to be called Kiriat Arba. There they defeated the clans of Shechai, Ahiman, and Talmi. So they continued the progress of driving out the enemies of Israel. And so they continue the, the work of occupying the land as instructed by Yahuwah through Moses and eventually also Joshua. And so what happens next? Uh, from there, the men of Judah marched against the city of Debir, at that time called Kiriath Sefer. One of them called Caleb, remember Caleb, right? Said, I will give my daughter Ashash in marriage to the man who succeeds in capturing Kiriath Sefer. And so here we hear of Caleb. And you know, Caleb was one of those who witnessed the miracles of, his, uh, of Yahuwah and how Yahuwah delivered the people of Israel. Because remember, in the first generation, there were only two who were able to make it to the promised land. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. And so they were witnesses to the, from the very beginning. So they knew what Yahuwah was able to do. So Caleb was, was one of those. He was from the tribe of Judah. He was one of those who were, was filled with faith. And by faith, he was able to overcome and conquer many lands and to drive away the Anakim. Now he had, uh, I think, uh, Othniel, one of his, uh, a relative of his, I think his nephew, who would eventually become his son-in-law. Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, captured the city. So Caleb gave him his daughter a caution marriage. On the wedding day, Othniel urged, urged her to ask her father for a field. She got down from her donkey and Caleb asked her what she wanted. She answered, I want some pools of water. The land you have given me is in the dry country. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. And so what we have here so far, Judah, tribe of Judah, and you have certain leaders in Judah like Caleb and Othniel. And they were driving out the enemies. And so, so far, so good. So what we find is we have a great initial start after the death of Joshua. It's a good start for the people of Israel. But remember, in the journey of faith, what's more important than how you start is how you finish, right? And so what happened after the initial set of victories for the tribe of Judah? Judah, uh, Judges 1, 16 and 18, the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went on with the people of Judah from Jericho, the city of palm trees, into the barren country south of Arad in Judah. There they settled among the Amalekites. The people of Judah went with the people of Simeon, and together they defeated the Canaanites who lived in the city of Zephah. They put a curse on that city, destroyed it, and named it Ormah. Yahuwah held the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. So the Bible tells us 
that after the, the death of Joshua, the people of Israel go to Yahuwah, ask, who's going to lead us? Yahuwah says, Judah. Judah, because of this blessing from Yahuwah, they go into battle, they join forces with Simeon, and they destroy many of the strongholds of the Canaanites. So Yahuwah helped the people of Judah. Yahuwah was with Judah. But keep in mind, this battle is not just in one instance. It is ongoing, day after day, week after week, month after month. Because the journey of faith is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And so Yahuwah begins to bless them. The people of Israel in the beginning, they were zealous in their work for Yahuwah. But take a look at what happens next. But they did not capture Gaza, Ashkelon, or Ekron with their surrounding territories. That's a big mystery. Yahuwah was with them, right? But they failed to capture Gaza, Ashkelon, or Ekron. And so you cannot say that's complete victory. What is that called? Compromise. Well, why did they fail to capture Gaza, Ashkelon, or Ekron? These people living along the coast had iron chariots. And so the people of Judah were not able to drive them out. And so they failed to take or capture Gaza, Ashkelon, or Ekron. And the Bible tells us the reason why. What does the Bible say? Because these people had iron chariots. And during that time, if you had iron chariots, you were well advanced in military warfare. You had like the weapons of the weapons. <laughs> Back then it was the iron chariots. And so because these people had the iron chariots, Perhaps when they saw the iron, the iron chariots, they became afraid and they were not willing to do the work of destroying these people because the iron chariots kind of instilled fear in them. So even though Yahuwah was with them in the beginning, when they saw the iron chariots, their faith began to dwindle. Just like the Apostle Peter, when Yahushua told him to walk on the water. He began to walk on the water because of his faith. And then he saw the winds come up, felt the winds, the waves begin to come up. And so what happened? He begins to focus on the storm, the, on the waves. And then he begins to sink, right? Same thing happens to us. You know, I mean, when Yahuwah was with us, we have initial victory. But sometimes when we have initial victory and then we see a challenge up ahead, what happens to our faith? What happens to our zeal? And it begins to wane. You see, the Bible tells us that when Yahuwah promised he will deliver the land of promise to his people Israel, it was go, it was not going to be done in one scoop, in one swoop. No. According to the book of Joshua, for example, uh, then Joshua said to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph, since you are so large and strong, you will be given more than one portion. Of course, of the hill country will be yours as well. Clear as much of the land as you wish and take possession of its farthest corners. So you will drive out the Canaanites from the valleys too, even though they are strong and have iron chariots. So iron chariots was not a problem for Yahuwah, but it was a problem for Israel. When they saw it, they would be afraid. But Yahuwah says, you will be even if they have strong, even if they are strong, and that, even if they have iron chariots, you can drive them away, not because you're strong, but because Yahuwah will. 
give you victory. So the iron chariots was not the problem. It was the doubt of the people of Israel. It was their unwillingness to complete the job and to really put in their work into it. Because in Deuteronomy 7.2 says, Jehovah your God will drive those nations out ahead of you little by little. You will not clear them away all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals would multiply too quickly for you. So this was the plan. I mean, the people, those who live in the land of promise, they were not supposed to be cleared in one swoop all at once, but little by little. This tells us when it comes to our work of faith and our walk of faith, it's a daily thing, you know, a daily walk and fight of faith. But when you do the work of faith, this is what usually happens. When we begin something new, initially, maybe the first week, the first month, we are filled with zeal, right? And then after a while, what happens to one zeal of faith? Begins to wane. This is also what happened to Israel. The zeal of faith was beginning to wane. So initially, they were conquering one after another, defeating enemies one after the other. But then all of a sudden, it begins to wane. And they begin to kind of lose interest. They become complacent. And in Judges 1, to 1 verse 21, people of the tribe of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites in Jerusalem. And the Jebusites have continued to live there with the people of Benjamin ever since. And so instead of removing the Jebusites so that they could occupy Jerusalem, they failed to do that. The Jebusites eventually take control of Jerusalem again. They already had it won in the beginning. They already got it. But then they let it go because they let the Jebusites stay in the land. They spared the Jebusites. They let them live together with them. And when you read Judges 1, 27 to 36, it tells you the tribes of Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan did not drive out the people living in their land. They were supposed to drive them out. But they did not do that. You see the decline of faith and the reason why they spared their enemy was because, well, they let their enemy live with the tribes and the enemy were forced to work for the tribes. And so instead of removing the enemy, they now live with the enemy and they work with the enemy. What happens when you live with the enemy and work with the enemy? What eventually happens? You become like the enemy, right? I mean, that's just the way human nature works. And so Judges 127 to 36 tells us Israel had a good beginning after the death of Joshua, but slowly begins to decline. Okay? They begin to wane in their faith. And so what would happen when one's faith begins to wane? When you begin to live with and work with the idolaters, the Canaanites, the people who in Israel were supposed to be removed, supposed to be driven out. In Judges 2, 11 to 13, then the people of Israel sinned against Yahuwah and began to serve the Baals. Baals. They stopped worshiping Yahuwah, the God of their ancestors, the God who had brought them out of Egypt, and they began to worship other gods, the gods of the peoples around them. They bowed down to them and made Yahuwah angry. They stopped worshiping Yahuwah 
and serve the Baals and the Astartes. And so that is the decline of faith. You notice they started out fighting against the enemy and they begin to spare the enemy. And then that, when they spared the enemy, they were influenced by their enemy. And then they begin to stop worshiping Yahuwah. Why did they stop worshiping Yahuwah? Well, what? Could have been they're lazy. Number two, they lost interest. Number three, they were losing faith. And the same thing happens today. Right? There are people today who initially, they start out well, they worship, and then kind of drift away from worship. They kind of walk away from the faith. It's human nature. It happened back then. It's also happening today. But what happens when a person begins to stop worshiping Yahuwah? You, you know, when a person stops worshiping Yahuwah, he becomes easily influenced by his surroundings. When a person stops worshiping Yahuwah and clings to him, he becomes influenced by other gods and other influences. So after stopping worship, stopping to worship Yahuwah, what do they eventually do? They worship Baal and Astartes. And so they fall. They decline and they would fall. And we can see here the pattern of the stages of decline and falling. First they fought the enemy. But then they begin to spare the enemy. And then they begin to imitate the enemy. And then they begin to obey the enemy. This is kind of what happened in the early stages of the generation during the times of the judges. And so if we were to ask the question, why did the next generation forget Yahuwah and what he has done for Israel? We found the answer. What was it? Israel was influenced by and adopted the Canaanite culture. We must not underestimate, brethren, the power of culture. We live in a culture. Wherever we are in the world, there's a culture in that place where you live. Its influence is unconscious. So you don't even, you're not even aware of how it's influencing the way you think and the way you feel. It's unconscious. And so without even knowing it, you begin to drift away from the Father. And you become more and more like your culture. That's what happened during the days of the judges. Because they could not remove the people whose influence was again, were whose influence was contrary to what Yahuwah wants, because they were influenced by Canaanites, well, they begin to drift away from the Father. You see, Yahuwah knows about the dynamic of culture and the influence of culture. And so even before they enter the promised land, which he knows is going to be surrounded with all these different Canaanites, what did Yahuwah say? What did Yahuwah give to the people of Israel? So they would be protected from the influence of the power of culture. Well, what Yahuwah said, Deuteronomy 6, this should be familiar to all of you. Listen, O Israel. What is that? Yeah, the Shema. Listen, O Israel. Yahuwah is our God, Yahuwah alone. You notice the emphasis on Yahuwah alone? This is the Shema. This is the most important command that Yahushua was talking about. This is the Shema, the primary command. Yahuwah is our God. Yahuwah is one. We worship him and him alone. 
And so what Yahuwah wants to place in the hearts and minds of his people before they enter the promised land, there's only one God. You're going to worship only one, and that is Yahuwah. And so they were supposed to repeat this again and again. Why? Because Yahuwah knows if they don't, they're going to be influenced by all the other different gods there in Canaan. So Yahuwah says, listen to Israel, Yahuwah is our God, Yahuwah alone, and you must love Yahuwah your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And so this was the Shema. And so what was Yahuwah's purpose in giving this command? That their hearts would be focused on Yahuwah, they would be loyal to him and his commands. But not only that, after giving the Shema, which would be the guiding light for them, the guided in the decision they make. Yahuwah added this in 7 to 9. He said, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. After giving the Shema, what else did Yahuwah tell the people of Israel to do? Repeat the Shema. Repeat the commandments of Yahuwah again and again and again to your children. Not only repeat them, the Bible also says tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. We know what a tzitzit is, right? Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So wherever they go, inside the house, go outside the house, they're going to be wearing something. They're going to see something in the, in the house. So remind them about the commands of Yahuwah. And so what is Yahuwah basically telling the people of Israel to do? He's telling the people of Israel, you need to create a culture in your home. Did you see that? You are to create a culture in your home. Do you know how to create a culture in one's household? It begins with a leader of the household, the head of the household, right? How do you create a culture in your home? You have to have rituals. What's a ritual? Like things that we do on a regular basis, like what we do every Sabbath. We worship. We follow the Moedim. We have special gatherings. These are rituals. It, it's part of creating a culture at home. And in this culture that we create at home, we immerse ourselves in the teachings of Yahuwah. And so Yahuwah is telling the people of Israel, you're going to go to the land of promise, but the land of promise is saturated with all these pagan belief systems, pagan cultures. You need to protect yourself. The way to protect yourself from the culture is to create your own culture in your own home. So we must actively create and maintain a Bible-based culture at our own homes. You see, our faith ought to begin at home. And at home, we need to create this culture of believing in Yahuwah and Yahusha and obeying their commandments. Who's a good example of one who did exactly that? Joshua 24, 15. But if serving Yahuwah seems undesirable to you. See, Joshua, before he died, he was kind of sensing, he was sensing these, the people of Israel were being influenced by the culture. This is why he did not want them to take that oath when the covenant was renewed, because he was sensing that. 
he told them, but if serving Yahuwah seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice. And once you make a choice, you have to be committed to that choice. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve Yahuwah. And so here is an example of what we need to do in our own homes. There has to be leadership in the home. Who are the leaders of the home? The parents. The parents. This is why we, who are parents, we need to teach religion in our home. We can't rely on the minister. We can do it ourselves. We can learn from the minister, right? But we need to take leadership. We need to teach our children. Yes, we provide a children's ministry, but that's not like every day. What Yahuwah wants is every day. Because the only way to counter the effects of culture outside is by having an impact every day to create our own culture that is Bible-based. This is why every day, parents, we have to do something to promote the culture of Yahuwah and the culture of Yahushua. Because every day they're exposed to that pagan culture, right? And so every day we have to do something to counter that influence. And so Joshua says, but as for me in my household, we will serve Yahuwah. And so we need to worship together. We need to study the Bible together. We need to pray together. We need to do all these things together so that we can counter the work of culture that leads to decline and fall. Remember how they fell. First, they fought the enemy. And then eventually they spare the enemy. And then all of a sudden they imitate the enemy. And then they obeyed the enemy. And eventually they became the enemy. Right? They became Yahuwah's enemy. And because they were Yahuwah's enemy, what happened? So Yahuwah became furious with Israel and let raiders attack and rob them. He let enemies all around overpower them. And the Israelites could no longer protect themselves. Every time they went into battle, Yahuwah was against them. Just as he had said he would be, they were great. They were in great distress. And so what happened? Because they sided with the culture of the pagans. They, they became idolatrous instead of being loyal to Yahuwah. Well, Yahuwah allowed them to be overpowered by the enemies. And so they were in great distress. Yahuwah allowing this to happen to them was a way of disciplining his children. Because when one is disciplined, you begin to repent, return to Yahuwah, and cry to him. And when that happened, what does Yahuwah do? And Yahuwah raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to Yahuwah's commands. And so Yahuwah would raise of judges, but even the judges they would not listen to. Yes, the judges would deliver them, but when the judges began to teach the word of God, they did not want to hear. They only wanted to be physically delivered, but they don't want spiritual nourishment because they were stubborn. And so what happened? Let's read 18. Whenever Yahuwah raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For Yahuwah took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. 
And so this cycle of being oppressed by their enemies and then Yahuwah raising a judge and showing pity on his people, delivering them from their clutches, this illustrates for us two aspects of the character of God. And it's something that we need to understand because it's who God is. We don't determine who God is. We don't, we don't create God's character. We don't, we don't serve a man-made God. Yahuwah is God. Yahuwah is Elohim. And so what do we need to understand about his character, his attributes? Yahuwah is just, holy, and righteous. This is why he punished his people, because they were not living up to the standard of holiness. But at the same time, Yahuwah was also merciful, compassionate, and long-suffering. So when you read the book of Judges, you're going to see that. We're going to see Yahuwah's holiness, righteousness, being just, juxtaposed with Yahuwah's mercy, compassion, and love, suffering. So that's the balance that we see at play in the book of Judges. But when the judges died, what happens? When the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse. This is why the cycle is not really a cycle. What is it called? A downward spiral. When the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And so what's the root cause of why they entered to this downward spiral of sin? It's because of their stubborn ways. The Israelites were stubborn. And Yahuwah despite his compassion and mercy, again and again Israel would go back to their corrupt ways because of their stubbornness. And so because of this, what did Yahuwah do? What did he decree against his people? So Yahuwah burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. So Yahuwah, as a punishment to the people of Israel, he will no longer drive out the nations. And there are several reasons for why he will decide to do this. And we'll discuss some of them in the next episode. For now, we know Yahuwah decrees, I'm no longer going to drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. Why? Because they did not fulfill the covenant. They broke the covenant of Yahuwah. In fact, not only did they break the covenant of Yahuwah, they did the opposite. Because not only did they decline and fall, they even imitated and obeyed the enemy. This is the process for adopting the enemy's cult. Can you imagine that? They were supposed to enter the promised land and they were supposed to create this culture that would be Hebrew, the Hebrew culture. It's supposed to be Yahuwah's culture, God culture. They were supposed to make that shine brightly in the promised land. And when it begins to shine brightly in the promised land, the other nations would be attracted to it. And the other nations would enter into a relationship with God too. They would become also Israelites. That was the plan. They were supposed to enter the promised land and create a culture of God. But instead, 
What happened to them? They adopted the enemy's culture. They stopped fighting the enemy. They spared the enemy. They imitated the enemy. And then eventually they obeyed the enemy. Which makes you wonder, why? What was so attractive about the Canaanite culture? Well, if you still remember, in Judges 2, 11 and 13, it mentioned that they stopped worshiping Yahuwah and they served Baal and Astartes. Do you know why? Do you know what was so attractive about this god, false god, called Baal or the Baals? Do you know what was so attractive about worshiping Astarte? Well, according to Canaanite belief, Baal was considered by the Canaanites to be the god of the weather, nature, and agricultural success. And so because they were given land, what was their focus? The land and its produce. How can the land produce if they had the proper weather? And so who was the god of agricultural success? Baal. So because of their interest in their personal wealth, what do they do? They become interested in worshiping Baal. That's why it was attractive. How about Astartes? Well, that was considered by the Canaanites to be the goddess of sex, love, and fertility. She was honored, and the way they honored her was with the practice of ritual sex with a priestess prostitute. And you can see how this is attractive to them. They want to propagate their lineage. And so they like to, you know, they want to indulge um, the urges of their flesh. And so they would engage in sexual immorality. And so that was Astartes. That was attractive to them. So you can see why the pagans and the Canaanites influenced the people of Israel. Why they adopted that culture. What also became the hallmark of the culture in that day? Well, the theme in, in the book of Judges, one of the themes of the book of Judges is the statement that's repeated again and again in Judges. What is that statement? We're going to see this statement when we study the book of Judges, but this is kind of like the principle that they follow. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this was what they followed. They did not follow what Yahuwah wants. They followed what they wanted. It's all about me. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the case today too? We live in a society where priority is self. Self is a priority. Whatever you think is good for yourself, that's what you do. Even if it means sacrificing your children, your wife, your family, doesn't matter. If it makes you happy, you have every right to do that. <laughs> Isn't that the priority today? The priority of self? It started in the book of Judges. They did whatever was right in their own eyes. It doesn't matter if it was right according to your spouse's eyes or your children's eyes. It didn't matter if it was according to Yahuwah's eyes. It was right. That no longer mattered. What mattered was what you decided. What you chose for yourself. They became selfish. And so when you look at Israel's culture during the days of the Judges, it's these three. They prioritize material over spiritual means. Ba'ah. They indulge in sexual immorality. Astartes. And they promoted self and rejected 
Yahuwah. They were not the interested in worshiping Yahuwah. Instead, they were interested in promoting self. Whatever was desirable in their eyes, that's what they did. So Yahuwah punishes Israel. He will not drive out the enemies. And there's another reason why he will not drive out the enemies besides as a punishment for Israel. Here it is. 2.23.23 I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of Yahuwah as their ancestors did. That is why Yahuwah left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. And so one of the reasons why the enemies kind of remained, they, would not, they were not able to drive them out completely, was because, number one, there was a punishment. Number two, it also was a way to test the people of Israel. In other words, it was also an opportunity for people who are truly loyal to Yahuwah would stand out. Unfortunately, not many stood out in terms of loyalty, except the judges. But the judges became fewer and fewer, and they had more and more flaws. And so opportunity was given to prove one's faith and loyalty in Yahuwah. And in a way, beloved brethren, we are being tested today, right? We're being tested today. I mean, when we look at the world, are we surrounded by a lot of pagans? <laughs> yes or no? We are, aren't we? And so what is that? That's a test. Are we going to follow the ways of Yahuwah or are we going to follow the ways of the world? We must pass the test. So how can we pass the test? As we are surrounded by a world that is anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-faith. Romans 12, 1 to 2. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. What does it say? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We're surrounded by the world. We're influenced by the world, so much so because now we have internet. It's kind of connecting everything together. There's a lot of negative and pagan, demonic influences in the world today. And the, world, and the way they influence us, influence us is the way culture influenced the Israelites during the days of the Judges, unconsciously. We're being unconsciously influenced by our culture. So what do we need to do? We need to pray and we need to ask Yahuwah to show us the behaviors and customs of this world. We must not copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Why? Because if we copy the behaviors and customs of this world, then we become the people of the world. Yahuwah wants us to be different. That's why he says, give up your body to him as a living and holy sacrifice. How? Let God transform the way we think. And so we should not let the world decide what we should think. We should not let culture decide what we should think. Instead, we need to let the word of God influence the way we think so that we can become a new person. 
who will be who will understand what is good and pleasing and perfect before our Father. Do you know what the Bible considers as a culture and custom of the world? It doesn't really change. We just have different labels. Because the culture of the pagans, the Canaanites, during the days of the judges, it's the same today. We just have different labels. Do you believe that? Yeah. According to Apostle John, what is the custom, the customs of the world, the culture of the world, the standards of the world that we must look at? Let's read the book of 1 John. Do not love this world, nor the things that offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. What is that? Starte, right? A craving for everything we see. Whatever you see that is right for you, it's right. And pride in our achievements and possessions. Bah. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But at, uh, anyone who just does what pleases God will live forever. You see how the culture of Canaan during the days of the judges is the same culture that the world upholds today? Look at what Apostle John says, craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, the pride in our achievements and possessions, that slots perfectly in Israel's culture adopted from the Canaanites during the days of the judges. They prioritize material over spiritual means. This is why they would prefer to worship Baal over Yahuwah. I mean, today people worship material things, right? Today people indulge in sexual immorality. And there are different ways where this immorality is practiced. And today people live in a self uh, promote self age and they promote self and make self priority and they're no longer interested in Yahuwah. So there's indifference in Yahuwah's the things that Yahuwah cares about and there's this promotion of self. That's the culture we live in. And so we who are in the assembly of Yahusha, we must not follow that culture. We need to create our own culture. How so? Let's read the final passage of our studies today, so that you may be innocent and pure as God's perfect children who live in the world of corrupt and sinful people. You must shine among them like stars lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. If you do so, I shall have reason to be proud of you on the day of Christ because it will show that all my effort and work have not been wasted. And so when, because of the fact we live in a culture that is corrupt, filled with sinful people who practice immorality. What is the expectation of Yahuwah? Yahuwah expects us to shine. We are children of God, not children of the world. And so what does he want from us? We have to shine like stars lighting up the sky. But how can we shine as lights shine, uh, shine lighting up the sky if we live exactly like the world. If we look and talk and behave like the world, how can we shine? We're supposed to be different from the world. How are we supposed to be different from the world? We follow the message of life because we offer the message of life 
not simply in terms of teaching it, but also in the way we live. And so we have to create our own culture. And the culture that we create should shine. It should shine brightly, which was the intent of Yahuwah in raising a people for himself. The reason why he wants to raise a people for himself is so that his people, Israel, they were supposed to model the way people ought to live as children of God. They failed to do that. We must not fail. We cannot fail because we belong to Yahushua now. He's our leader. He's the one leading us in this endeavor to shine brightly before man, to shine by living a good example of holiness and righteousness. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and gracious Father Yahuwah, thank you so much for blessing your people, giving us your commandments, teaching us about you, your character and attributes, showing us the value of meditating upon your name, Yahuwah. Thank you for your compassion and love. Help us, O oh Father, as your sons and daughters who belong to your household, that we will shine brightly as stars that light up the sky, that we can be influential in leading people to you. Our King Yahushua, you are our chief shepherd. You died for us because you want your servants to have the opportunity to receive by grace the promised salvation. We are on our way there, but we know it is a walk of faith that requires us to fight for our faith because the world's influence and its unconscious power over people is a great challenge. Help us to overcome these forces. Help us to stand our ground. May you be in us that we can draw strength from you, that we can overcome the influence of the world and live a life that is pleasing to you and the Father. Father, thank you so much for blessing us today. Yes. Bless your people wherever we may be. We ask that you please heal your people if we are sick. Grant us vitality and strength that we can keep on fulfilling our duties before you. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.